What does the future hold for Munster and Leinster? Why did Raj pretend to buy milk every Sunday morning? And Kev tells us what got the retiring Mike Ross fired up. It's all coming up on The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. And Ring Rose comes through. Oh. That is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score. I know what website you use most often, but it's a sister of uh, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Rob, Zeebs here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next year. He's calling. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. I say YouTube is probably YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to episode 13 of The Hard Yards, the Sports Show Rugby podcast. I'm joined this week by Ronan Agara, Kevin McLaughlin and Pat McCarry. And later on we'll get odds from the weekend's Pro 12 action from Haley O'Connor of Ladbrokes. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, Stitcher and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. First up, Mike Ross is retiring, stalwart of Leinster and Irish rugby. Rog, start with you. He actually started off down in Munster, he's a Cork lad. Do you remember the old Rossi or the young Rossi? Yeah, I would have been gone out of con by the time I think he was playing there. Um, and he is similar path he was UCC Cork on I think and then um, obviously got um, a break and hard friends and excelled with Leinster and, um, with Ireland obviously as well I I I don't uh, remember him um, personally um, at the at the start but um, he was always a man that got the, a fair few a fair few um, butt of the jokes I think that's what I remember of Mike Ross in his early days I think people took out their kind of um, their anger or their frustration on Mike Ross because he was nearly an easy target and um, he was absolutely an incredible um, person I think he is um, I was fascinated just to kind of watch him uh, when he was in Irish camp and I think talk about a guy maximising um, all of his capabilities it's a great case study in Mike Ross I think um, he's had a phenomenal career and um, he should be incredibly proud of what he's achieved he's um, he's, a, he, he's a great guy hugely interesting hugely intelligent I think uh, you talk to guys who know about the forward game and he took on the project at the scrum and absolutely, I suppose, um, stalled himself into becoming the best student of, of the prop in game he could become. And that took hours and hours and weeks and months of hard work. And uh, I admire people like that who roll up the sleeves and find a way to succeed. And uh, Was he uh, the best athlete? No way. Was he carrying probably... Uh, excess weight was his Dexa scan impressive no but he found a way to compete at the highest level and I tip my hat to him and he was um, he replaced John Hayes which was I suppose no easy thing but a very necessary thing from, from a completely Irish point of view. incredibly difficult thing to do because it was only when John Hayes was gone people realised how good he was and what he meant to the team but you look at Irish rugby for the last 15 years and we've been blessed in the fact that you had two uh, cornerstones in Hayes and Mike Ross and once you have a, a tight head prop that your teammates believe in it gives you everything because people that don't play the game uh, wouldn't realise if you can get parity or um, even a 5% advantage on the tight head side from a back's point of view uh, it opens up the playbook completely for me and with the two of them um, we were always in good hands Yeah we had him on the uh, on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago now but um, it's, it's very clear that Mike Ross loves three things um, scrumming uh, scrummaging love of barbecue and technology uh, I'm not really sure which order that's in, in Kev you're being, you're being very complimentary and just um, narrowing it down to barbecue. I think you just put in grub there. <laughs> grub. Yeah, I, I don't think he could put them in order either. I think he's just so passionate <laughs> about all three of them. Like, um, so, yeah, I think like I, a lot of what Rog said there resonated with me. Like, he's a very quiet guy. He's a very deep thinker. Um, he's the kind of guy who just came and got his job job done. Like, the amount of study and prep and work he put into the, the art of scrummaging. Um, was phenomenal 
Uh, me as a back rower, I went through a transition in Leinster while he was there because of him from someone who would switch off at scrum time and actually just all I'd be thinking about is the next play to Jesus Christ, Rossi would be screaming at me on Monday if I don't put my shoulder in here and work for the 20 seconds of the scrum. So he completely shifted the whole mindset in Leinster in terms of what the scrum means, not just for the front rowers, but it's an eight-man job. Um, and he was absolutely instrumental in that. We went from having a scrum that used to get walked around the park to a scrum that could actually compete in Europe and allow us to go, go and win, win a championship and, and compete with, say, the likes of Northampton in a final. And he just had that look like... You, you wouldn't notice him in a game and then it would come to scrum time and he'd turn around he'd beat his chest and you could see him screaming at the back he'd come to life he'd get excited <laughs> and that, that was the way that kind of says a lot about him and yeah like he has the technology side as well he's uh, something he's also very very passionate about and I think that's probably going to serve him very well in terms of his next career hmm, Fingers crossed Pat now would you have come across him much from the media point of view? Yeah, and he was actually he was a good guy for. Um, sometimes you you would think you get a prop, you're going to be absolutely <laughs> screwed over. <laughs> uh, you get nothing from him, but uh, Rossi he was a good guy. You're not having any digs with anyone there. Pat, <laughs> <laughs> he he didn't snarl at us or kind of up to heaven. I wonder who that he, well, I suppose, yeah, he didn't. He was a good guy. Yeah. He didn't. He was a good guy, as in, yeah, you got some decent stuff <laughs> yeah. out of him. What is, and you, uh, oh, you didn't God. get the same old kind of generic stuff out of him as well. So what is it? Uh, that, that's what I kind of liked about him. And then the other thing was, I remember speaking to him after um, they got knocked out of the, the World Cup to Argentina there in Cardiff, and um, just I, I, I had assumed he was going to retire after that because it was after World Cup, and I had said to him, you know, is this it for you? And he's. He was like, no, he's like, I, I might not be wanted, but if, as long as I'm never going to retire playing for my country, as long as I'm playing, I'll still be available if they want me. So I thought that was a nice touch. And, and there's a guy who's kind of done really well and never really got that send off. But it, it is good to see this week he's getting some nice words said about him because he, he, he definitely put a shift in for his country. It is, and he's, he's given us tight furlong as well. I think, you know, he's molded him into the next tight head, hopefully the next 15 years. Now, we'll move on. Uh, last weekend turned into something which was a good weekend of rugby to watch but not the results that Irish rugby wanted uh, hugely disappointing defeats for Munster and Leinster we won't reflect too much on the intricacies of the match but we are going to look forward and see what these teams do to take it up a notch next year so let's start with Munster that was on Saturday afternoon what did they learn last weekend Kev from your from your experience watching the game now what what do you think that Munster learned what, what will they take into I suppose not just the end of the Pro 12 season but next season and beyond Yeah I think you have to look back a little bit to look forward and I think Munster and Razi Rasmus will be incredibly disappointed I think in terms of the way they played and how they actually went about trying to win this game um, I don't think they ever fired a shot in Aviva um, I think uh, like what really highlighted for me was when Saris were down to 14 men and they weren't playing particularly well. They made a lot of mistakes, and Saris could easily have had a breakaway try early in the game. They dropped the ball, and they kind of left the door open for Munster. And I just don't feel like Munster went for it. And I don't think Blaindal and, and Williams, like a lot of people, are turning on them a bit, but I just don't think they feel... Co- they looked to me like they didn't feel comfortable with the game plan. They, they were kicking the ball, slowing it down, and just trying to... It was like they were trying to take the wind out of Saris, but for me, like they actually had to just go after them and attack and play and, and get in their faces. Um, so like there's several different things like the the hardest thing after losing a game like that is actually looking inwardly and looking at yourselves and saying how can we be better and asking those really hard questions to yourselves and it comes under certain categories it's like do we have good enough players in the squad Uh, what were our tactics like are we fit enough are we mentally tough enough and like all these really hard questions like I I think Roger will agree the coaching staff are going to ask hard questions of themselves but then the players they need to sit down and decide what they can do to be better because if they're going to go a step further for me, they never really once looked like beating Saris at the weekend, and like that's that's a really really hard conversation to have as a group of players. And I, I don't know who in there, Roger, will have better insight. Who in there is going to grab this, grab the team together and say, guys, what are we going to do here to get better? Yeah, I think that's very valid, Kev, what you're saying there. But I think where that is exactly the mindset of, I think teams that have won. Um, Champion Cup like the players in Leinster you did the players in Munster that I did but you have to I think go back and um, just I suppose appreciate the mindset of these players I think for me they didn't anticipate the jump up from a Pro 12 to the semi-final of a Champions Cup um, and I also felt that um, 
if you consider where they were 12 months ago, they were scrambling to get into the European Cup. And I think, for me, the biggest thing is that you know yourself, when you get to the top four of a Champions Cup, it's like starting the competition again. The level just goes to a whole new level because it's the cream of the cream. Um, you can get away in group stages with a, as we saw in Munster's case, that game plan works 90% of the time because what are Munster do? They're direct and they run over people and they get up and they work around the corner and they're really hard working for each other and they bash up 12, gets over the game line and they end up breaking down teams. But like a team like Saracens, as you said, they just lapped it up and they just said, is that all you have? Because we've done our homework. We're not going to contest the rock too much. We're going to win our one-on-one contacts. And as you saw, it was probably... Um, the greatest mismatch mismatch of a semi-final we have seen it at, at, um, at that stage of a competition it, yeah it was it was interesting now to, to think back to um, the conversation last week in the podcast where Ferris talked to Stephen Ferris talked about the, the black wall across the field and mm-hmm. you really did see that especially in the first half there weren't a lot of points scored indeed Munster took the lead so they, she took a 3-0 lead it was 6-3 at half time but at no point did you really think that Munster were in that game? Um, it, was, it was very, very odd to watch. Uh, the kicking part of that, Raj, d- this seemed like an obvious game plan. Glasgow, in their limited bit of success in the quarterfinal, had that through kicking. Is Was this just their be-all and end-all of this is how we get past the Saracen side? Because it didn't look, from, from my point of view, as if there was a plan B. Oh, I think there would be a plan B, definitely. I think what Saracens are so good at is, and it gets exaggerated for every halfback trying to play against them uh, their performance is looking awful lot more abysmal than they are because of the pressure not alone that um, <clears throat> the back row uh, put on you but every single one of their um, players I think have an incredible defensive line speed which other teams cannot sustain other teams can match it but they can't sustain it for the 80 minutes and there's examples throughout that game where uh, Munster were under severe pressure but what also Saracens do very well is that they they really load the front line and unless you have a really accurate kicking game you won't get the rewards and <clears throat> Munster's kicking <clears throat> excuse me wasn't accurate enough and hence I think that's why it become probably amplified why Munster didn't uh, execute p- pretty well but if you analyse Saracens, they're good at the back. He has 40 to 50 metres of space on either side of him, but you have to have a plan about who's going to get the ball and who's going to contest the ball. For me, I think there was too much height even in the kicks. Um, if you were looking to to win an aerial um, contest, because those kicks have to be kind of uh, fast, zip kicks, um, you know, no higher than the, probably the height of a crossbar. And, and picture that across the pitch I think if you were going to in the attacking kicking zone it's um, if you probably you know I mean have a look at Bowden Barrett's quality of kicking at the minute I think he's the kind of guy that could exploit Saracens but as you say there aren't many Bowden Barrett's around playing in the Champions Cup We'll move on to the Sunday game to Leinster uh, this looked really really bad about 15 minutes in really really bad and then suddenly it turned into one of, I think, the great semi-finals. Uh, Kev, from your point of view, what will Leinster take from this game? I think they'll take that you can't give a team a 15-point head start. I know that's a cliche. <laughs> but like they, they didn't play for the first half an hour. Uh, they overthrew, I think, three lineouts or messed up three lineouts. Like real basic things. They just kept letting Claremont into the game. And then having said all that I think they went in it was 15-3 or 15-6 and you could tell like it was going to be on in the second half I knew straight away Claremont would begin doubting themselves um, I think Rog said a couple of weeks ago you stay with them for 40-50 minutes and they do doubt themselves they're, they're mentally a bit fragile and I think Leinster had them they had them completely where they wanted them and then that disallowed try just, just shifted the whole momentum 10 point swing uh, totally unnecessary like I think <laughs> like Dan Levy's probably been Leinster's best player this year but like that was just inexperience I think like what we were always taught uh, for those particular plays you know those Joe special plays is let the first player go so he lets Rougerie go Rougerie pisses out to the far wing mm. and then uh, all Levy has to do is stand up and step forward and whoever the next defender is has to run around him and um, we're through the gap and the try scored so like it, it's just basic little things that you learn in those games of like that are that tight 
like the margins are so 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 close and I think like there'd be great learning for the likes of Levy and Jack Conan and I think like if Sean O'Brien and, and Jamie are starting that game it's probably a little bit different and those little margins are, will probably swing Leinster's way but it, it was very disappointing I think the lads will be extremely disappointed but I think from Leinster's point of view I think they're looking at that game and saying we were there we had enough to win I think we have the players um, and I think like they'll, they'll be ready to go at it again next season uh, Rog I'm thinking back to the journey that Munster went on um, I suppose a number of years ago now there might be a game like Northampton in 2000 um, from your own experience who were the players that drove the belief you know the belief that yes we, we, we are good enough if we change this that and the other to get to the next level who drove that in your time do you know what everyone drove it because I think that's there's certain names that get the headlines but it's absolutely imperative that um every member of the squad is valued because for me I always go back to people like Dennis Leamy who spoke maybe once every three months but when he spoke you get goose um, bumped because it just had like God I wish that guy spoke more but he had a way of preparing and a way of performing and his actions overpowered everything but like it comes down I suppose to internal ambition and, and what you want out of it and unless that's driving you into training to be the best every day it's nothing that you can just switch on I think it has to be burning deep inside you and that's that's what uh, I think the Munster and Leinster squads are, are, are particularly lucky that there's so many homegrown players because if that becomes diluted and um, all the lads don't have that will to perform for their local people for me it just won't they won't be able to compete because uh, the market is becoming richer and richer yeah, like um, I remember after 2008, we lost a cast away. It was Czech's first year. And I'll never forget this. Like, it was a very, very powerful moment in my career when. Um, so, Czech came in to address us after um, the game for the Monday meeting. And a couple of the senior players asked him to step out of the room. He was like, Czechs, we've got this. And we sat around in a circle, the players, we didn't look at any video, do anything like that, basically had an honesty session. And I remember some of the, like, some of the guys who I thought were flawless at the time, I was new in the Leinster squad, some of the superstars, putting, them hands up, putting their hands up and saying, I was absolutely rubbish at the weekend. I didn't prepare properly last week. My head wasn't in it. And like, when I saw these guys who I thought were flawless putting their hands up and saying, I wasn't at the races. I made this mistake here. I immediately was reevaluating everything I was doing in terms of my rugby career, and I could see everyone else was the same, and that created something very powerful. And I think like the coaches are always going to do their reviews and try and drive change and try and improve, but it needs to be player driven. There needs to be a drive within the player playing group, and I think that for me was one like a key turning moment uh, in terms of Leinster's fortunes over the coming years. Was it would it have been anybody in particular like you kind of stepped up like one of the <coughs> yeah it would have been like the usual names that get mentioned it would be like Leo and Shane Jennings and um, it would have been uh, Brian O'Driscoll obviously Shane Horgan like those kind of mm. key stalwarts of, of the Leinster and they <coughs> they were the ones who were putting their hands up and saying I was I was totally unacceptable at the weekend and I was looking at them kind of going wow okay yeah you know I I, there's so many areas if they're if they're being that hard on themselves like how hard do I need to be on myself to get to their level and, and, and get beyond their level so like it was I, I just think that's really powerful I don't know whether you guys Raj had any kind of moments like no, that or I, any. I, I completely agree with you and, and it, you just um, clicked something with me there in terms of what you said it's usually the guys that aren't central roles in the national team that are the biggest drivers at provincial level like in terms of my year exactly I knew exactly that it was you know I mean people that I suppose the strongest influences in Leinster rugby would have been um, Leo um, Shane Jennings and Shane Horgan because the three of them weren't featuring for Ireland so they had a double kind of a cause in terms of driving what Leinster meant to everyone and then when the internationals came back their house was in order in our case it was uh, it was always the guys that didn't feature on the national team as well you you could taste uh, you get a feeling for how successful we would be by the interest levels or the drive out of these players that weren't on the national team and I think if you have that it becomes really really um, powerful because you not alone do you have I suppose the lads that are in, in tip top shape coming back from, from Ireland camp but your bread and butter 
is is your monster and your Leinster, and if the guy's attitude and their foundations and their base levels are good, I think the capacity to do something special was always there. So let's look a little bit further ahead. These are the players that that are here. There's obviously a job that they have to do. The coaches have to do. But there's also the recruitment angle to this. So. Mm-hmm. Leinster have recruited fairly strongly already. Scott Fardy coming in, James Lowe coming in from Super Rugby. Uh, that's some big names um, to add to the locker, especially in the in the back three. That's going to be loaded for Leinster next season. Munster bringing James in. James Lowe looks brilliant. Yeah, no, he's a good player. It's yeah. going to be seriously impressive. Saturday. And then, yeah, he looks um, brilliant. So uh, those seem to me to be names that can push you up to another level here. Um, have we got the same in Munster with, with Hart, Farrell and JJ? They might not be quite at that level. You know, I mean... Yeah, I, well, I, I, like, I like the look of... Like, I think they've recruited well in in, in Hart and, and Farrell. I like, I like Farrell as a player as well. I think he'll fit in really well at Munster. But... Um, yeah, like Hart will kind of he'll be that. You know, it's good to have him there as well. Um, JJ, it just remains to be seen whether he comes back and hits the ground running, whether he has that hunger when he gets back, and um, you know, because he's no doubt he'll have the hunger. Yeah, but I think I think I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I think Farrell I will feature in a in a red in a green jersey next season. I just think at six foot five with his, I suppose. Um, variety of skills I think he'll offer something um, at national level that we haven't seen the guy is the same size as Joe Rococo or uh, you know I mean Donica Ryan playing in the centre yeah, Joe do stuff Joe with these guys with and his passing game left to right right to left is is really good and he's been lucky in the fact that I think he's probably an under the radar coach and my friend I guess in down in Grenoble has kind of been mentoring him individually for two years so he's been drilling skills into him he's not a gym monkey he, he's been drilling skills into him skills and he's he is a really uh, a really good passer of the ball also you have um, I think ever since James Hart has signed for um, for Munster I think he, his head has become free and his his head is not cluttered anymore and he's just gone out and he's played and he's uh his GPS uh, stats are hugely interesting. His capacity to cover the ground and the speed he can bring to the game has been um, very impressive. JJ Henry and I always felt that, you know, when I I can remember actually the afternoon I told him when the two of us were kicking, I said I'm not going to be playing next year, JJ. And um, it was kind of that look like as in, okay, you drive this ship, and you know, what I mean, I'm happy kind of handing it over to you because I feel that you can uh, get the best out of out of uh, Munster, and um, I think Munster be good for you too. But it's weird the way it has worked out. But that guy is a is a hugely ambitious, determined uh, young player, and you look at it for the weekend. You know, what I mean, Sweetenham didn't didn't start the game. There's massive competition in the backs and the forwards will be um, will be more than competitive it's what Kevin said at the start of the conversation it, it depends on um, the mindset and how player driven it is and and how much they want the guy. I think the quality is there do you, so you still think from uh, you still think JJ could do this he could lead the ship I most definitely do I think I, I think you know what I mean let's not forget Tyler Lendl didn't have a great day a lot of old halves Dan Carter didn't have a good game against Saracens in the European Cup final because he's not because these guys aren't Dan Carter, maybe they get a little bit more um um criticism. But a lot of old halves who have played against Saracens have underperformed in a lot of capacity. It's it's one game, it's eighty minutes. Let's wipe the slate clean and have a go again. He can um come back strong with a big finish to the season. Himself, JJ Hanrahan, I don't know what Ian Keekley's situation is, but I would think that uh, between those two lads, there you've um, you've competition for for a key position. With with Tyler, obviously, I would say in the driving seat and, and deservedly so. Kev, next level, next season with these two teams. Um, are these are the are the signings? Are is, is is the development path that we see these teams on enough to push them up another level next season? Yeah, I think like in Leinster's case, uh, without trying to sound sound biased, I think most of the parts are there I think they like some of their younger guys need a bit more experience at this level a lot of them have got that now after the semi-final at the weekend um, 
my concern would be when you look at a team like Saracens and the fact that they have three top quality players in every position now and the impact their bench made and do say for instance does Munster have that depth there will they have the depth there based on the signings I think the way Rog like, talked about the guys that are coming in I think they'll add huge value but like who are Saracens bringing in next season what are they adding to their roster and like can Leinster and Munster in particular and you know the other provinces hang in there and hang on to the coattails and I so badly wanted an all Irish final. <laughs> it would have yeah, been I inc- completely agree with you. I, I think we may be making the mistake and I think we may have said it in the past, but for me Saracens are thirty percent beyond anyone else playing the game at the minute. Not alone are they brilliant on the pitch, but their recruitment policy, as you said, is 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 better than everyone. Look at their recruitment for next season. They've yes. got players that they've really wanted and whatever it takes, you know, you've Liam Williams coming in yeah. who is a really really good player and I don't know how they're doing it but they must have um, a really good accountant to keep their, <laughs> their budget creative accountancy yeah it depends what you read out there with their level of debt but um, we'll leave that for the business podcast I think. yeah but they still level a debt <laughs> yeah. or not they still have to they still have to adhere to the rules Exactly. Right, thanks gents for that. Uh, we will be back with a chat about how boring it can be for players to work with the media. The hard yards. Now when the cups are decided you have fine weather, but that's probably a two-month period you have to do the hard yards. Hey, that's the name of the show. Excuse the pun. No, that's perfect. We're <laughs> going to use that now. <laughs> I'm on a bonus for that, definitely. Yeah. Get that in. The hard yards. The hard yards. On Sports Joe. Backed by Ladbrokes. And we're back on the hard yards. Pat, you went to the Rugby Players Ireland launch the other week and spoke to Andrew Trimble and he had an interesting point to make about working with the media. We'll play a clip now for uh, for everyone to hear. The, uh, one of the things that stood out from that, it was a great documentary after, uh, I think it was four days in November that kind of came out and um, yourself and Ulton Delan would have kind of came across very well. It was, it, was a, it was a nice admission you actually made, kind of talking about some of the media stuff you have to do and sometimes you have to just go out and just kind of, you know, you can't really be yourself a lot of the time because you don't want to kind of say the wrong thing or it might be, you know, uh, looked at the wrong way. I remember I was speaking to Darren Cave soon enough after that and he was like, thank God somebody finally said it. Like, you know, is, is it a thing? Did you have other players come to you and say, like, listen, we all think this, but, you know, um, thanks for finally saying it. Yeah, no, I, I think um, quite often with, with press conferences, um, there's a game that weekend, so quite often I mean week to week no matter who you're playing you're going to say the same thing time mm. and time again and you're going to say you know it's a big um, big challenge this weekend got to get up for it can't take either can't take this team for granted or it's an, you know, a massive, massive um, physical challenge the intensity in Thulman Park you know all this stuff it's all true um, but you say the same stuff every week and you know, you just always try and get that balance of, you know, we've got to get our uh, get our stuff right, get our game plan right, and just try and, you know, meet that intensity. You know, oh, so many cliches and uh, players as well as journalists. I'm looking at you here. You must be so fed up and bored of listening to this stuff. But um, but you got to keep turning that out because if you don't keep saying that, then you end up saying something stupid or you come across cocky or you come across um, defeatist, you know, mm-hmm. one or the other, and you can't, you just got to get that balance. Uh, and you just you got to use the cliches you know they talk maybe an example you know the press conference yesterday I was asked um, you know about you know three big games left to mm-hmm. try and make playoffs and what did I say um, we're all just looking forward to just taking it one game at a time aren't we <laughs> what a ridiculous boring cliche but it is true you know mm-hmm. potentially um, potentially you know getting towards the end of the Six Nations maybe the wheels game Maybe there was an, an aspect of us, you know, thinking about England, mm. and we didn't take it one game at a time. So maybe if we'd bought into that cliche, it would have been a healthy mindset for us. But um, yeah, it's 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 just always it, it's you, you you have to be boring. Yeah, you can't not be boring. You just got to say the same old stuff everybody says. Okay, so he's wearing his heart on the sleeve with that one, Kev, isn't he? I don't know if he is. I just think he's being honest. Uh, I think like he hit the nail on the head. The players, like I kind of feel like the players have to decide when they're going into a press conference when they're speaking to the media how they want to be perceived then there's a huge influencer on that and that is the clubs the clubs uh, want the players to carry the party line and that's fine because talk, talk to us how that happens so I mean you, you're set up for the interview that's presumably through the club and then is there talking points you're given? The club will probably tell you the day before you're going to be doing media the following day and they discuss with you 
uh, what the kind of key themes because I think it's very important as an organization that you have uh, you have a similar mindset and that comes across in the media I think that's very important I also think you're always uh, I think Trimby alludes to it like it's a fine line between uh, seeming ill-prepared or seeming cocky and like the last thing we ever wanted to do was give other teams ammo. Like that was always a huge talking point in the lead up to playing Monster. We do not; they have enough ammo coming down to play <laughs> us. The last thing we want to say is, "Yeah, I mean, like Roger's playing shite at the moment. We're going to beat them." Like, and then you can imagine that'll be plastered all over the wall in UL, and they'll talk about it five times in lead up, and then they'll talk about it just before they come out in the pitch, and it would just give them extra ammo. Like, and we used to. We used to talk about it all the time, like not giving teams ammo, and I think you just you have to be really tight. Like it's one of the things you have to be tight on, and like media talking to players a little bit like attack versus defense. Like the media are trying to find an angle, yeah, and the players that. are trying to just like tighten up their defense and, and be really <laughs> tight in what they say. And like it's not a particularly great combination from either side, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it's like it's sometimes there's the perception that. Um, the media are out to get you like you know and, and that, like we're looking to kind of make up a big headline or kind of fi- find some angle like you are looking for an angle but you're just looking for something interesting in it like and sometimes you can just see the players kind of just freeze up and you're like what's this guy want from me like you know and you're like sometimes you just prefer if it's just a chat like a, a one-on-one with someone and um, although there, there are times where somebody might just say something and it's just in your head just a bell goes off like I remember a few years ago before Ireland played the All Blacks and, and this is probably why players get a little bit cautious like uh, Keane Healy was being honest and he said we talked about the hacker and he was saying uh, oh, I loved the hacker as a kid I hate it now and I almost wanted to leave <laughs> right then and there and go write that up because I was like oh my god Keane Healy just we're about to play the All Blacks and he said he hates the hacker like, and, and, and that was something that, or maybe Healy might come out the next time and just go Oh, the hack is great. I absolutely, you know, I respect where they're coming from, and like, and he'll he'll done a bit of reading up about it. But you know, there are times when when he does that. But then there are other times where you know the media might get banged on the head a few times. But you know, I remember a couple of, um, I think it was when Alton Delan was coming up. It was his first time he was put in the mix zone with us, and he just kind of maybe let slip to us that um, it was just a kind of small slip of the tongue. But he said, um, you know, when I'm coming off the bench or something like that, and it was in the lead up to the England game, so you knew that Delan was going to be on the bench. But you just knew he's a young lad coming in, and you. Like you could have led with that as a story, you could have knew he was going to be there, but uh, I don't think anybody who was in that circle uh, of journalists interviewing him did, did it as a story. So, yeah, we are looking for angles, but um, we're not. I was going to say we're not out to get you. We're not always out to get you. <laughs> um, Raj, did you enjoy dealing with the media as a player? Um, <laughs> so there's a long silence there, lads. <laughs> yeah. No, no, because I think I, I'm. I, it's a fascinating discussion we're having and I think it's hugely important and hugely relevant especially what Kevin is saying and and um, all the points that have been made I, I don't think um, the media are, are, are out to do players I certainly um, I think that's really accurate um, I suppose it, it depends on um, a, n- a number of factors I think what annoyed players I suppose was just the consistency about um, how is it going to be an opinion based article or is it going to be an analytical article and I think um, there was times as players you were frustrated because um, their opinions would change like the wind and surely if you're playing the game for 10 years you'd kind of be thinking that um, it may not change as quickly um, as uh, as, as you would like it to have changed Um, Getting back to your question, did I like dealing with it? I thought it was. Uh, I had a very simple policy in my head. I thought uh, wherever I got it from, from I presume my parents or my upbringing, I was kind of, I was honest and probably too honest at times. But I just felt I'd seen other people um, acting in terms of uh, playing a game with the media, and I, I felt that I wouldn't be able to win that game if I was trying to manipulate the situation. Because thankfully. If you were lucky enough to play as long as I did, um, you know, I mean, they're geniuses of bringing up stuff you said in the past. So at least if you were honest in, in giving your feelings this time, you could uh, manage that. And it was exactly how you felt. And you weren't trying to play games with them, which would lead to a road to destruction, I felt. 
There's a headline for you, Pat, anyway, media are geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Take that. The, the various, you know, articles that you read, be it opinion pieces... There's different or, agendas, though, Pat, you'd agree with that. People have different agendas. Yeah, oh yeah, like there's, um, you know, sometimes no, you actually have people coming in with an article in mind, like, and you're just looking for a quote to back kind of back up, up what you're you saying, know, like, I, yeah. But, like, that's, it's something that's hugely important, too, the, how the media portray you and... I know for years that I was portrayed as, um, you know what I mean, grumpy, rude, difficult. I, I, I probably was, but to my teammates, I would think I was the complete opposite. And they were the people I cared about, but I didn't probably think about the public perception. But that didn't really bother me in the fact that I had a good bunch of friends from school. I had good people around me, but you can't be friends with everybody. But at the same time, it is really important, the public perception. And that's something I learned... Uh, towards the end of my career and something that's really, really, I think the most important thing to me now is when you go back to Ireland for for weekends, you're you're treated like a king. It's unbelievable the the public perception of you. But at times that wasn't the case. But did I did I manage that well? No. But I think Kev will say it. If you're playing a test game every weekend, your priority is performing for the eighty minutes, not in how. And it's difficult pressurised situation. I'm not making excuses, but you look at I think. The exact same would be, I mean, someone like Johnny Sexton would be perceived as difficult, awkward. Yes, he is, most definitely, but also he has a heart of goal and he's a warm person. You need to poke him to get a bit of fun out of him, but that's the way he is because he kind of needs that to perform. And I, and I think I can really, really uh, associate with that. But did you did you actually read all those, you know, all, all the pieces? Let's say it's by, by an ex-player. You, you hoovered it up, read did you? Everything. Yeah. I read everything. I loved it. I loved knowing <laughs> what was said about me, what was going on, because it was important just for me because, uh, you know what I mean, just to store that and kind of go, that's fine, that's his opinion. Other people... Uh, had different opinions but I just really felt like that uh, I never went into a bubble so much and that I'd uh, restrict myself from from what was going on in reality I think that was crucial I think that kept me grounded There was a good bit of advice uh, Raj that I got um, when I was maybe just starting to kind of cover the the Irish rugby scene and it was was one of the older journalists said to me uh, if you're ever talking to Raj just give him a compliment early in the interview and that'll soften him up and you'll get some really good stuff (laughs) 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 Did you you ever find people were being being overly nice to you at the start of an interview? Uh, Like Ireland lost but you had a good game? No but but you see that's um, I think that's but like to be fair, Pat, these guys don't know me. You know what I mean? My teammates knew me, and I had some great relationship with journalists. But a lot of them wouldn't know you. You know that kind of way. So they're giving their opinion on something that on a subject matter, but they don't really know the person or the character behind it. They're judging um, your performance, and they're fully entitled to do that. But I think it's really important that you actually get to know the human side uh, in all of this, because that's essentially. Um, what makes the for me the biggest difference? Kevin will tell you that I, like there's so much to the team environment to performing other than the, the eighty minutes. Speaking of team and eighty minutes, player ratings—that's something which we which, uh, you have various views on around. First thing I go to after a game, really, and anyone who says I doubt is lying. I love Roger's honesty there, like for, yeah. like yeah, you hear completely. You, but like that, that's it, Kevin. I can remember years. I'd kind of. Well, after the first few years, when I didn't have the double header, I'd go, I, the first thing you'd go home on a Saturday night, you might treat yourself, have a burger, and go to bed. And then you get up and you kind of, I have to get milk for the cereal. You don't have to get milk for the cereal, so you can only get the Sunday paper. Exactly. If the journalist gave you an eight, you kind of come running back to the house. <laughs> into the floor skied on the double knees and <laughs> <laughs> if they give you I a six laugh all yeah. you want, but this, this is um, I can remember sure it was risky business I told that story before the one about myself and Guy used to be when we got five out of twenty and he goes Rod you want the good or the bad news Guy got three I got two <laughs> <laughs> But it, like it's so, so Kev, if you're you're there, you're you're hoovering up the ratings, whatever else. I mean, is there's probably not a huge amount of time spent coming up with these ratings, like on the final whistle for the Sunday morning Andy, paper. And, you know? Andy, the, the players don't think about that. Yeah. They think that absolutely every person 
the way you're brought up to think of is that every one of those 80,000, their eyes are glued to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're scrutinising your performance inside out. Yet when you go to a game now and you're retired, people couldn't, half of them couldn't care less about the game. Half of them are supping pints. Half of them are just there to say they were. Yeah. Like the first... It's a, Sorry, it's a brief overlook of their performance, isn't it, on their ratings. And yeah. I got explained that from the journalist because I kind of, I actually rang up one or two journalists and I said, <laughs> I disagree with that. Uh, I'd say those were your I exact words as well, Roger. Yeah. No, I'm telling you, see, that's it. I don't, like, I've learned that a long time ago. If you give a fella a bollocking, what do you achieve? You feel great about yourself for 10 minutes, but what message have you given? Mm, it, yeah. it doesn't work like that. I think the most important thing is that if you have something on your mind that you feel you can um, share with somebody, you discuss it, and he may disagree or he may agree, and then I think there's a, a powerful, uh, a more powerful, I suppose, uh, relationship going forward. Yeah, like the, more the, respect. The performance assessment cycle for me was I played a game on a Saturday right up until Monday morning like sun, Saturday night and Sunday was all about external feedback that's what I judged my performance on because I didn't really want to start looking at the game and thinking too hard about things I was too sore too tired Monday morning uh, then it would be over to the coaches to tell me what I'd done wrong or what I needed to work on and then Tuesday morning I'd start actually look, taking a hard look at myself and mm. saying right <laughs> let's throw away all that other crap and start actually deciding myself how I can improve like and that was the cycle for me and no matter what I said to myself the external feedback I got no matter how irrelevant it was even if I don't know Gavin Comiskey had spent 15 seconds putting 20 player ratings together like that meant a lot at that time by Tuesday I'd forgotten about it and focused on myself again but that was just the cycle I went through and no matter how much I told myself not to go through that that's what happened <laughs> yeah but with, with the ratings like it's it's yeah like I, I'd often we would do that for sports show in a minute the, it's almost like an on the whistle ratings you'd have and they, they prove very popular they prove like big talking points after a game but um, yeah there's been sometimes after a game like you'll you might get like 13 out of 15 players that you've been watching you've seen something but then some guys don't stand out so you just have a quick check of the stats and you're like didn't do anything wrong 6 out of 10 or something you know what that, that, that's what's dangerous too because I know from coaching like, stats are so dangerous yeah yeah I uh, can give you just a live example we played Montpellier the host at the weekend okay I think we had 14 lineups. down in our stats we won I think 12 out of 14 okay but how many balls did we play off 2 hmm. what did the stats say success rate 12 out of 14 yeah or did they contest them against you as well like Saracens were given Munster line outs as well like, does course, but you know what I mean like a win you win a line out is a second row or whoever taps the ball back but it hops on the deck and, and yeah. you know what I mean skimmies away towards the touchline and the backs are kind of gone cheers you know what I mean <laughs> it's just you. it's all about quality you have to be so okay it's the same as kicking stats so, you know what I mean? The greatest kickers are the guys that don't attempt any kicks from from you know what I mean? from forty yeah. meters because they just want to protect their stats. And that's gone on twenty years. It's not just a new thing. So going back to one thing earlier on, right? So Kev, you said that it's about it's kind of attack versus defence. But do players accept, or is there is there an acceptance preached to them by the clubs that the media and professional teams need each other? Like it's a symbiotic relationship here. Yeah, sure. Something you said to me earlier, I have never thought about in my entire life that the <laughs> rugby needs the media, and, <laughs> and like, for it's always the way I my mindset since I came into Leinster was that we need to protect against the media because the media are trying to find angles, and that that's definitely a mindset in professional sport, and it's probably due to a few a small handful of journalists that <laughs> have said particular things over my career that have made me say, Jesus, these guys are out to get us. Are the journalists that, um, without naming names, the journalists that you would have encountered that you wouldn't trust, you would not deal with again? Yeah, there are, and they're I think like the worst type of journalism are the people who write really really strong opinionated pieces on players and like personal attacks at times and they're the ones that don't show up at the press conferences as well because they don't have the balls to face the players or the coaches and that for me now was was is the lowest form of journalism and I, I uh, like I'm reading articles on people I know well and good friends and they're saying things about them that they shouldn't be saying so like that that kind of stuff I think creates a gap and creates a, a level of mistrust between journalists and players like and no matter what way you look at it like the, the game does need journalism 
<laughs> and like if journalists aren't big enough like the the Irish games and the, the Leinster semi-final and the Munster semi-final etc like they're not going to be as big an event like and they're and not going to sell as many tickets and they're and there is a selfish side of this from the media point of view in that let's say you're a rugby journalist you want rugby to be a bigger game mm-hmm. there's a part of you that has to want this industry to get bigger because then there's more room for you we need each other we <laughs> need, yeah. this is getting very cuddly here um, Rog I mean would you see that now after you've retired do you see that sort of relationship of the both sides needing each other you see things completely different when you step out of the bubble completely different as I said it's, it's a mindset that's driven on you and that's just the way it is and because you're in there and you're thinking about it and it's been said all the time you just become um, a victim of your circumstances I would think because you're not thinking maybe as uh, sharply as you should as an individual because it's all about the team what's best for the team and how best to get the best out of the team so if you're a real team player you buy into this and that's exactly what you need to do I think in my case in Munster who was I was lucky in the fact that um, and people's perception that the guy might be different, but Pat Garrity was brilliant. Pat Garrity treated me like a, one of his uh, sons. It was his attention f- towards me, he he really had uh, um, took my issues to his heart, and I felt so, uh, I suppose, secure, and I had so much trust in him. And I don't know what went on behind the scenes, and I'm sure because Pat is fiery. I can only imagine some of the discussions he had with Charles. I can attest to the fact that Pat is firing him, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, in terms of him looking after me, like, take it from my point of view, I've asked Pat to kind of just keep an eye out for me. And once I said that to him, and you work with a guy for 15 years, I think that's a massive, important uh, value in life to have someone like that who is... Even if I'm ninety percent wrong, he's going to back you. I think that's what <laughs> that's very important. Ninety percent wrong, uh, <laughs> but like from a media point of view, that's bias. Is it like well, as, in, it, as in if you know that a journalist is always going to write positive things about a team or a player, like do people actually want to read that? And that's the challenge that media have is they want to build trust, but they they need to report independently. Yeah, well, well then yeah, some get some get accused of being cheerleaders for the, or, or apologists for the Irish team if if they're losing, and then that doesn't do you any favors as well. And then you have other people that come out and. As we said, we saw there during the um, you know the November series of Six Nations, one win you're up, the next you're down, like, and, and that must frustrate players like something crazy as well. And there are so many different types of journalism out there. Some of it, it's just it's just content now, you know. And we're in a world where in in America and in some places in England, there are clubs and teams who are just producing their own. They're saying, let's cut yeah. out the middleman, let's just do it ourselves. And I, I'm not sure if that's great, but I suppose, Kev, go back to your point, it depends what people want to see. We'll yeah, leave this one. Sorry. What, what Kevin's point saw is fact too, which is most interesting. It, it's, um, um, it depends on the person that's writing it. I think that's all the rugby player asked for, is to get this guy to put his name to a piece mm-hmm. and to, to have the decency to show up and to maybe potentially ask a question as opposed to giving his opinion on something that he doesn't really know the person. That's hugely harmful and damaging to young players' careers. And it happened at a TV level as well. You had uh, young uh, young players whose, whose careers were really affected by the opinion of one or two people. And that isn't right because they're not getting the full picture of, of how this player is performing or what this fella does. So you have to protect the the player as well. I think that's important as well. You can't just have somebody shouting down about this guy that he's no good. But he wasn't probably good today, but that doesn't necessarily happen every week. So just generalising is is really dangerous. We leave that one there. Um, I think it's a a talk we might come back to someday in the future. Um, Rog, we'll leave you go. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, Up next... Up next, we chat about this weekend's Pro 12 action and we'll get some odds from Ladbrook's Haley O'Connor. The Hard Yards on Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrook's. We're back and we're joined on the line by Haley O'Connor from Ladbrook's. Hello, Haley. 
Hi, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, we are looking ahead to the Pro 12 action this weekend and it's it's a funny table, Pat. Uh, Ulster, Ulster have a big game. Oh, massive game, yeah. Um, away to Ospreys on, on the, the Saturday, so that's a afternoon kickoff. They're, they need to win that game, basically. Like I know Scarlets are in the mix, they're playing Connacht as well, but um, Ulster are a point behind Ospreys and if they lose that game, that's, that's them as good as done ahead of their final game of the season against Leinster. Yeah, and if you look up the table, then Ospreys, Ulster, as you say, and then they play Scarlets in the final day I mean this is it's the one interesting battle left apart yeah. from the battle of Italy you know yeah well if, if Munster go and get lucky enough to get that losing bonus point against Treviso <laughs> they'll, um, they'll get that home semi-final wrapped up and um, yeah, so, and then and then Leinster have, have hosting Glasgow as well so um, it's the amount of players that are actually going to miss I think a lot of uh, the guys who were battered themselves in Champions Cup action are going to miss out this weekend so it's up to the other guys to kind of step up and, and actually make a claim to get a semi-final spot and a final spot there's, there's places to play for mm. Ulster's odds of making the playoffs uh, how does Ladbrokes see that Hayley? Even money um, so um, I mean as, as you said like Ospreys of home advantage um, and probably the second best defence in the Championship but Ulster do know that uh, defeat like would likely end their ambitions of reaching the knockout stages but yeah we think it's an even money shot and um, that they'll make the playoffs and they're 16 to 1 um, for the two grand final winners so that's probably out of their reach OK and for the, the four Irish provinces this weekend Pat what were we looking at Leinster playing Glasgow Ulster mm. at Ospreys as we mentioned Connacht um, they're home to Scarlet so that'll, that'll be their final uh, home game of the season so um, you know, unless we were talking about playoffs and stuff we'll come to that soon enough and then um, you have Munster uh, yeah, away to Treviso on uh, around 6 o'clock I think on, on the Saturday as well so um, all they need they're, they're 9 points clear of the team in third place so they just need 1 point um, to get themselves a home semi-final as well and like that's the, we were talking to the Munster lads after the the Saracens game at the weekend, and that's their big focus now to get back to the Aviva Stadium and, mm. and whoever they play, they'll be happy enough to do that in the Pro 12 final. Haley, uh, those four Irish provinces to win these, this weekend, I believe you've got an accumulator. Yeah, six to one you can have, which I think is quite tempting. Yeah, then I would say that. You, <laughs> Ul- you. Ulster, Ulster, the big one, yeah. If like. Um, if if they can do it, you 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 could get some get, get yourself some money if you if you if you lumped on that. Yeah, as long as Connacht decide they actually want to finish eighth yeah. as opposed to ninth, <laughs> we might come back to get to that next week. Uh, it's a funny way this com- this competition is structured this year. Um, last thing, there's we we obviously been building up the the Lions tour over the last couple of weeks and will be next weeks to come. Uh, the betting that you're taking on the starting fullback uh, in the first test. Uh, this is interesting. Hogg is a shoe into everybody, but there are some other candidates, Hayley. Yeah, well, Stuart Hogg, he's, you know, Six Nations Player of the Year. He's uh, the favourite, four to six odds on um, to start at number 15. Um, Lee Halfpenny is five to two. He actually, his Twitter, that, that video that he has of been picked um, when his name is announced, it's just absolutely adorable. But anyway, um, Liam Williams then, he is six to one. Um, well, Greenland actually is a massive fan of his. Said that he's he's improved massively, and even though he doesn't look like a rugby player, that he's he's it could be something really special. Jared Payne, who surprised a lot uh, people to even make the plane, he's eight to one. Uh, Anthony Watson, someone described him, I think, as having the most dazzling feet in the Northern Hemisphere. You can back him at sixteen to one uh, to start fullback, and Elliot Daly, uh, first time player, he's twenty-five to one. My tip, Liam Williams. Gut feeling says that. He'll be starting fullback. Yeah, the, the, don't know why. Roger was talking about last week as well, wasn't he? Like yeah. he's saying a guy he didn't exactly rate a hundred percent as as a player, but absolutely loves him as a coach. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks to Raj, to Kev, to Haley, to Pat, uh, to Joe Harrington for producing and Shane Dempsey for looking after the sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, Stitcher and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. I'm Andy McGeady. This has been The Hard Yards. Thanks for listening. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport.